All right, welcome to the first of its kind, world-changing manufacturers network. Lisa Ryan has her ears to the ground and her heart in the game. Get ongoing education and new connections right here with Lisa and the manufacturers network. Buckle your seat, listen, and spread the word. Here's Lisa. Hey, it's Lisa Ryan. Welcome to the Manufacturers Network podcast. I'm here today with Kevin Powell. With over 20 years of business and community leadership, including management and board roles, Kevin has created success throughout the supply chain from manufacturing through sales and distribution. As an engineer with an MBA, his career encompasses engineer, sales, and leadership roles. So Kevin, welcome to the show. Uh, Thanks, Lisa. I'm looking forward to our discussion today. So I know that you have a background that if I told everybody what you've done in your career, we would be here for 20 minutes just talking about that. So the Cliff Notes version of kind of where your career went and how it led you to doing what you're doing. At 32 years old, I was in a position of being named president of my first company. And quite frankly, it was because I was the only choice they had. Um, I was the one that was prepared. I was the one that was affordable. I was the one that they were willing to take a chance on. And I was excited about the business and my career. And I was fortunate enough to have a couple of great mentors and made the most of it. I, I ended up being CEO of four different businesses, each of which had different challenges or states of concern and created success in each case. We've been, in most cases, blessed with the fact that we got to take a lot of people and a lot of success along the way. So Kevin, as, as before we started the podcast, we were talking about lots of topics that we were going to cover today in our conversation. And the subject of diversity came up. And the fact that you are a white male talking about diversity, I just think that that's such an interesting angle because it's not one that we normally see or relate to. But in your working with leaders in traditional companies and in traditional roles, it sounds like you've really made some strides in helping people to understand the, the need for diversity and how that impacts company culture and overall productivity. So share with us what you're doing and what's working when it comes to that changing of the culture. One of the things I learned through wholesale distribution was that it's pretty clear that people are your product. If you're buying somebody else's product and reselling it for a profit, adding value along the way, the value that's added is from the people that you have. And if the people are all identical, you limit the value that you can add. And if you're selling to a diverse community, you're oftentimes singularly looking at it from your lens, as opposed to the lens of the variety of people that exist in the country and the world today. That combined with our manufacturers who were Fortune 500 companies looking because of their publicly traded positions and because they wanted to do the right thing, they looked at some of the smaller family-owned, privately held distributors and said, this doesn't look like we want it to and doesn't add the value that we always want it to. How can we make an improvement? And so I partnered with a couple of major manufacturers to help work on change in the channel. And 
you know, you talk about it from a white male perspective. One of the things I learned along the way was if you want to change the culture of any organization, you got to first start with a change in the current cultural leadership of that organization and not have them be drug along. And so I worked within myself to become a leader of that and, and treat people as individuals, not as groups. So what do you think are some of the mis- either mistakes that leaders are making when it comes to really understanding diversity in their culture, or maybe the things that they believe that they need to do that they may be a little bit off course on? The biggest one is that if you're leading an organization that everybody within the organization and your customer base thinks like you. It's easy to get caught up in little progresses and miss the big picture. And and you and I talked earlier about the story of diversity that was my one of my eye-openers. Um, and that's that I had a young lady who was in a relationship with uh, with another lady and we became friends my wife and I and the two of them and and I thought that I was doing wonderful I thought that I was so open-minded I thought that I was this worldly leader of diversity and accepting and everything else and that I had created this this utopia within the office that I was leading I had somebody point out to me one time go back to her desk and see if she has a picture of her significant other on her desk. And sure as heck, she didn't. I went back the next day and looked around and everybody else had pictures of vacations, family, everything else. And she had a picture of her horse on her desk. And what I learned at that moment was, is that even though she knew that I was personally accepting, I hadn't created a culture around the office that made her feel comfortable enough that she could share that personal side of her life with everybody else around her. Even though her personal situation may have been publicly understood around the office. She didn't feel comfortable talking about it. Right. So, and when you have those little things, paying attention to those types of details, pictures on the desk and that, what are some of the steps that you would recommend for leaders to pay attention to and and little by little to start to make those changes? People genuinely want to be listened to, not talked to. It's really practicing the old adage of leadership of listen twice as much as you talk, look around twice as much as more, twice as much as you command. If people feel like you're listening to them, they feel valued, whatever the topic is. And I see so many leaders walk into a room and instantly command the attention of others the best leaders are often the quietest in the room. And so I know you've done a lot with manufacturers, turning them around and the, the value of having the uh, lots of diverse ideas, not everybody thinking alike. So what are some of the things that, that you've seen some of the productivity increases that have happened as a result of companies that really focus on diversity of people, diversity of thought within their organizations? It's understanding that if you're in the electric business, like I was for a long time, or the swimming pool business that I was in for a while, or today working with some startups on that are doing internet marketing and others, 
knowing that your customer base is not you and really creating a workforce that understands what their customer base is and caters to them is, is a lot of the key to success. If you're trying to create a situation where your business is only focused on who traditionally is bought from you, you're missing a huge market. Right. And you and I had, had talked about that of just the opportunity for, for salespeople to make sure that they're getting, if there's two parties involved, a husband and wife, that they're not just focusing on the person that looks like them, the other male in the room, that they're uh, making sure to figure out who's the decision maker and pay attention to that many, to, to that person, because how many sales have been made because that salesman talked directly to the husband, knowing that the, that the wife was the person who was going to be making that buying decision. So these are just some of the little things. You, you mentioned the photos on the desk, but also the attention that we're giving to people and just kind of going outside of maybe our comfort zone. Well, we always, we always tend to stereotype around groups and, and it is human nature and it's uh, self-awareness that breaks us of that. And even within the white male population, we do that. For example, um, I look at another white male and my assumption tends to go towards an upbringing very similar to mine. And I was raised in a farm community by parents who had gone through the depression and didn't have much money. And I could be looking at somebody who led a life with two professional working parents and had more than enough resources to do anything that they wanted to. And, and you just assume that people have gone through the same things you have. Um, and, and what you learn is, is that we're all individuals. And as a leader, you need to lead the individual, not any one group. And so when a person listening to this podcast is thinking about things that maybe they can do in their plant to, to make it a people-first environment, to really focus on people. Listening, of course, is one thing, but what um, with some of the turnarounds that you've been involved in, what have those leaders done to better engage their employees, to bring them in, to make them feel valued and appreciated so that they are more, more productive to the organization? I, I think the biggest mistake people make is that it's a money game. Um, and having worked with a lot of turnarounds, what I've learned is the power of your words is far, far greater than the power of your budget. And that a great example would be if you want to show appreciation to somebody, you can go get them an Amazon gift card for 200 bucks. But if you really get to know that person and find out that they have a passion for knitting or a passion for fishing, and you get them a knitting kit or a fishing kit that every time they use, they think about you, you've now taken your words and made it more important than your budget. Right. And that's one of the things that I and know I talk about in some of my programs is just through something simple like a survey, call it the all about me sheet, where you're finding out what is your favorite gift card, what is your favorite hobby, sports team, candy bar, whatever it is, so you can 
personalize that recognition because a lot of times that employee is not going to remember filling out that form six months ago. But like you said, if they knock it out of the park and you paid enough attention to realize that they like knitting, you know, it's like, wow, he's really paying attention to me versus just, you know, throwing another generic even though you could buy a gazillion things on Amazon, but in the scheme of things, it's not as personalized as a knitting kit would be. You know, if you're not building lasting relationships, any financial success you have is going to be short-lived. You don't build those through grouping people together. You build those by getting to know people individually. And, and, and it's harder in COVID, right? I mean, people aren't sitting across the desk from you or in a collaborative situation. They're Zooming or they're on conference calls or otherwise. And so I think leadership um, requires outrageously more effort in the days of COVID than, than in the past. The companies that are going to be successful in this are the ones that did treat people as individuals as opposed to groups. Um, even in this environment of electronic communication versus in-person. Right. And that communication piece is such a big thing right now, because we think with all the technology, people are fine and they're fine on their own, but it's that that personal connection, that picking up the phone or sending a text or um, going and seeing that person in their office personally, whatever it is. But even in this gate, in this age of remote workers, that attention to not only connecting with them from the aspect of how's the how's the business going how's your job going but how are you doing and making a lot more of those personal connections yeah you know i i think that you can't create more time and so our success is defined in how we spend the time we have and one of the mistakes I've seen in the remote work environment is is people hunker down and do their work what you miss is that communication and that interaction that creates a collaboration that grows a business as opposed to just getting some paperwork done. And so to me, again, the success in leadership in both the remote work environment as well as a diverse work environment, it all comes down to making sure as a leader, you truly know your people and that they feel valued. And that doesn't happen by accident. It happens by an intentional purpose in getting to know what creates a situation where somebody will do something that they otherwise wouldn't. Exactly. In one of our previous conversations, you told me a little bit about the first company when you were president of that the company was pretty much going bankrupt. Mm -hmm. And by utilizing some of these things of building relationships, building that culture, getting employees engaged and excited, you were able to turn that business around four years later. Mm -hmm. So share with us again, a little bit about the journey. What did it look like from an employee engagement standpoint? And then what are some of the things that you did to to change that environment? Because again, you know, you're in manufacturing, you're in distribution, whatever. We all want to make money and we all have to figure out how to do that. But sometimes we're so focused on the widgets that we're making and making those better that we don't look at the product, which is the people, which seems to be your specialty. 
making sure that people feel valued. You know, it's um, the company that I took over had a gang in the warehouse, had a unionized environment, had um, was again almost bankrupt. The bank forced the sale of the business, and four years into our journey, we became one of Minnesota's best places to work. And that didn't happen by accident. It happened by working not as an individual, but with a team of leaders that understood that our goal was to create something that that created a future for everybody involved, not just the leaders, not just the owners, that, that we created a future and showed people a path to what that future looked like to the point where our union, which, you know, in the upper Midwest, uh, to decertify a union doesn't just happen. And we ended up decertifying the union because at the end of the day, they looked at their contract and said, why should we, we, we have confidence that the company is looking after our best interest and that we don't need to uh, work together in that, that we can work with leadership directly as a group and make that happen. And there's a place in the work environment for those types of organizations and where they apply, God bless them. In our case, what we created was enough individual relationships that they felt trust that we were looking after everybody's interest, not just our own. It sounds like it was a pretty toxic environment when you came in there. So things like getting the gang out, did you did you do an interdepartmental meetings, putting together teams of employees? Like what kind of was your process that that started that turnaround and then ended up, it sounds like snowballing into decentralizing the union? It was really around creating a situation where people felt that they they could win and had a path to win trying to think of the best way to say it when people understand that their work translates to good for them and support for each other the biggest thing for me was is hiring the right people right so so if you're looking to hire somebody, the questions I'd ask are, what community activities are they involved in? Mm-hmm. If they're involved in building a Habitat for Humanity home, and they're willing to give up a Saturday of their time to pound nails for a family to move in that they're never going to even meet, imagine how they treat the person next to them at work that they actually have a relationship with. And so really starting to find the right people and then creating a a work environment of engagement is very different than a work environment of satisfaction. A work environment of satisfaction might mean that you're shopping on Amazon all day and you're very satisfied with that work environment, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't create a situation where the company wins and the individual wins. It creates a situation where people are just happy. And and I don't believe that they're they're genuinely happy because they're not fulfilled. And so engagement is, are they supporting each other? Are they supporting the company? Are they supporting the cause? And do they understand the link between their personal success and that? And what are some of the ways that you allowed people to showcase those personal successes so that they, they felt a part of that company mission? It was everything from the vocabulary we used to the cadence of our work 
Um, for example, on the vocabulary, we used to have a monthly meeting. We changed that to a celebration meeting. And when we changed that to a celebration meeting, we also actually had people showcase their successes. Each month, a different person or group got to do so. And we'd also celebrate some support that we provided outside the, outside the four walls of work. For example, at Habitat for Humanity Home, we would showcase the work that a group did at the Habitat for Humanity House uh, the month before. So the, the vocabulary and then the cadence was the leadership by commanding versus the leadership by collaborating. It wasn't unusual for us as a group of leaders to three o'clock in the afternoon, change into jeans and go pick orders because we wanted to make sure that a warehouse person knew that we would do it. Now we were lousy pickers and they always had <laughs> It was one of those where it, occasionally if I had a driver that would call in sick and the route needed to get run, we had a choice between contracting out or if I had a lighter day, sometimes I'd go in and drive the truck that, that morning and then come in and do get caught up on the work in the afternoon. And it was just a great way, you know, people then knew that you weren't above them, that you were genuinely there to help them. You were there to help them be successful at their job and that their job was very important. One of the stories that I uh, tell is that if I had a warehouse person call in sick or a counter salesperson or a customer service person call in sick, what happened? Well, what happened is, is that Every, you know, 10 other people were affected. Customers might not have their product delivered. Others had to work overtime. There's all this chaos that happened when one team member on the front line called in sick. As leader of the business, if I went on a, uh, to a conference that lasted a month, sometimes people wouldn't even know. So whose job is more important? And, and just understanding that uh, a person who is that frontline worker is the one adding value. And as a leader, your job is to organize that value in a way that's most effective to the customer, um, making the customer competitively better than doing business with somebody who other than your business is what's important. The other thing I'd tell you is, is that feedback is outrageously critical and delivering it in a way that can be received well is important. For example, and, and again, another story that I tell, um, I've got two kids and they mean more to me than anything in the world. And as a parent, I'm the one that's there cheerleading for them the most. And I cheerlead for them a hundred times more than I ever give them critical feedback. But I do give them critical feedback and I do so because I really care about them and I want them to succeed. And taking that type of an attitude to your employee base and making sure that through your everyday actions, through your listening, through your caring, through your, through your behaviors, they understand that you're there to help them succeed as opposed to telling them what they did wrong is so important. And and that breakthrough comes from, I know I've said listening a few times in this podcast, but it's listening and genuinely feeling, uh, genuinely knowing, having an employee know that, that what they say matters, that neither one of you are always right, and that we're in this together for mutual success. 
it doesn't happen by sitting behind your desk. Right. And so there were so many good tips. I love the changing meetings to celebration meetings because it, it, it even has a whole different feeling behind it because nobody likes meetings. I mean, unless there's food involved, it's not like anybody really <laughs> likes meetings, but everybody likes celebrations. And also the fact of leaders being able to just pick up the slack, putting on jeans, helping kick, pick orders when those are necessary so that you're at that same level. And then also catching employees in the act of doing things well, that, that higher positivity ratio, the six to one or higher positivity ratio doesn't mean that you're never giving negative feedback, but what it does mean is you're focusing on strengths and then employees are much more open to the, the feedback that you're getting because you're seeing, you're already seeing something good in them. And this feedback is to help them to get even better. I can't stress enough the fact that knowing the individual is what matters. And a great, you know, whether it's a diversity thought or even somebody who is identical to you, knowing the person. And whether you're giving them a reward and personalizing it versus just giving them money or creating some office process that is understanding of their personal situation. A great example of that would be as we became as a family more successful, it, my wife started to stay at home with the kids. And that's a very traditional thing in the country. And I get that. And and we were blessed with that later in our children's lives. But that created a mindset in me that, um, that could have gone to everybody having the same experience. And for me, I normally get in the office about seven o'clock. And during really, really busy times, I wouldn't have thought twice sometimes to call a six o'clock meeting because we needed to get something done. And that's when I had free time. What I realized through leadership of the individual was that when I did that, whether it was somebody who looked identical to me or one of our ladies at work who had a working spouse as well and laundry to do, kids to get out the door, everything else, it created chaos in their lives for days, oftentimes, for a one-hour meeting that I was trying to squeeze into my schedule. Right. And, and so just understanding what people are going through and trying your best and it's not you can't always be successful at it but if people feel like you are trying your best to help accommodate them as the individual that's to me what's important wonderful well as we get to the end of our time together what is it that you i know that you work more in a consulting role now so what is it that you do to help your clients and if people did want to get in touch and carry on the conversation. What's the best way to reach you? I'm right now working in Las Vegas primarily, but I do work throughout the country with startups. And what I've found is there's a number of, there's so much entrepreneurial spirit and so much entrepreneurial work going on in the country right now. You've got companies that are having outrageous success and creating revenue streams that they never dreamed of. And they have no structure, no thought about the culture, no anything to support it. And so I've been working with companies on creating structure that will long-term support that and either position them for an acquisition or position them for a transition to 
to a, a sustainable future as opposed to a one hit wonder where somebody does, you know, X number of millions of dollars in a year and it moves on. Right now, my primary work is with an internet reseller um, or an internet seller in Vegas that has gone in three years from zero to $30 million. And they don't even have an employee manual. They haven't thought about culture. They haven't done any of that work. And and I'm working with them on setting up something that is going to take that sixty or that thirty million dollar to sixty, and then to six hundred, and in a way that the entire team wins, and 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 they've got an entire team helping them to make it happen. And and it's uh, again through the vocabulary we use. It's through the procedures we put in place. It's through the. Um, it, it's making sure that it's not set up like a typical Fortune 500 company, but set up in a way that does protect yourself from the laws and regulations of today, but does so in a way that, that treats the individuals with value. Um, so the easiest way to get a hold of me is my personal email, which is ksntpowell at me.com. You can find me on LinkedIn as well. And anybody that wants to use my personal cell, I'd be happy to give the number out. It's 970 970- Well, Kevin, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure catching up with you and I appreciate your being with me today. Thank you very much, Lisa. Looking forward to uh, our interactions in the future. I'm Lisa Ryan, and this is the Manufacturers Network Podcast. See you next time. Thanks for listening. Hey, do me a favor. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Also, feel free to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues so we can grow the network and connect more fantastic folks just like you. You can either go to the website at manufacturers-network.com or share the podcast on your LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you and your industry friends hang out. The bigger and faster we grow this network, the stronger and deeper community we will have. I appreciate you. Thank you.